to Sustainability Speaks, where your host, Stasia and Saskia. On today's episode, we're excited to welcome Richard, the co-founder and CEO of Global Trust. Richard, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Global Trust and what the business is? Sure, yeah. Thank, thank you for having me on the, the, the podcast. Um, so, yeah, I'm Richard Hilton. I'm the, the CEO and uh, one of the co-founders of Global Trust. Uh, we are a, a company that started just over a year ago. We're based in the UK, although we're, we're actually part of a, a bigger industrial group that's based in Sweden, and we're going to be setting up an office there shortly. Um, and our, our aim is really to to build upon the sort of decades, really, of experience that we've got in the, the team of using satellites and space technology to, to look at the Earth and to try and help people make better decisions, um, in particular on the issue of sustainability um, and, and all of that means. So you said that you are using your kind of background knowledge for the for the running of the business. So what is your background and how did you get into you know satellite picturing? Okay, so um, it's uh, working with satellites has actually been um, what I've been doing all my career. I, I did a, an MSc and a PhD at university um, with, with with satellites and, and mm-hmm. some of the sort of systems engineering and then trying to use the data for various things. Um, from there, I went to, to Airbus, and I worked at Airbus in the UK for nearly 11 years on this very topic again, working with the European Space Agency and some big corporates and, and helping to, to build and run some of the big computer systems, really, that, that have to handle these vast amounts of data that we collect from, from satellites looking back at the Earth. Um, and then from there, I went to um, uh, an organization called the Satellite Applications Catapult, which is a, a government-established um, innovation center designed to try and help grow uh, an industry. In this case, it was the satellite industry. And I was there for eight years. And from and during that, I mean, the, the purpose of it was really to for me to look at certain sectors and to, to try and just do things of, of various variety. Could be projects, could be education, could be a, a, a wide range of things to try and get space technologies better used. Uh, and after eight years of being there, um, it was time for me and my two of my colleagues to to, to, if you like, to, to move on from helping everyone else and to try and create something for ourselves. And, and we were building upon the, the areas that we were really um, specializing in, in, in the catapult. So my two colleagues, that was largely the, the mining and extractive industries. And for myself, that was the international development and sustainable finance and construction. Um, so th- those are really been the key focus areas for Global Trust for this first year. Uh, and now we're moving into some new sectors. Wow, that's such an interesting career. I don't think I've ever heard anyone work in that sector before. So you spoke a bit about kind of how you co-founded it, but where did the actual idea come from? It was really based upon the work that um, we were doing at the Catapult. So we were we were working in, say, in my case, over the construction um, sector, and we can see that there were just opportunities where that sector could actually use satellites um, where they're just simply not today. And it, and it gives them extra information um, and in a way that they either could never get through other means or could never get in an affordable way. I mean, the, the power of satellites, of course, is that they are in orbit, they're circling the Earth. You can get imagery and measurements pretty much anywhere you want, almost whenever you want. Um, and they're, they're truly independent. You don't have to send people out to remote areas, which could be either dangerous areas for various reasons or just because the environment is so hostile. And you can do this in multiple locations at the same time. So 
it, it gives people a kind of a reach around the world to that they just simply would struggle to do in any other way in a cost-effective way. So because I have absolutely no insight into this sector, how how does this actually work? Do you, I presume you don't put the satellites up there yourself, so how, how do you communicate with the satellites to get this data? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, 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 you're right. We, we don't, we don't have satellites ourselves. That's not really our business. Um, but there are plenty of other organizations out there that do. And we, we, we do two things really. First of all, we, we, we tap into the, the, the publicly funded, um, satellites that are launched typically through people like NASA. Uh, obviously everyone's heard of NASA, but also the European Space Agency and others. Um, and those data sets are available for free, uh, and people can just find the right place to access the data and then download that and maybe start using it. Um, that has limitations. Um, it's, it's great for science and it's great for global questions like climate change, but when you actually get really into the detail of a particular industrial facility, for instance, the, the actual the, the resolution of the actual detail contained within the imagery is, is not really suitable for that. And that's where we have to then move to a different class of satellites, which are actually run by commercial operations. Um, often in the US, but we, we have European companies as well, Airbus being one of them, that's my previous employer. Um, and also um, the economics of launching satellites and building them has just changed so dramatically in the last 10 to 15 years that now there are startups getting venture capital money that are able to invest in, 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 in building and launching and operating satellites. So for us, as someone that doesn't want to build satellites, but we do want to use them, we actually have quite a large range of suppliers that we can go to to get the, the, the data that we need to meet the needs of our clients. Who would some of your clients be? Are they mostly corporates or are they government organizations? Because when you collect this data and use it for sustainability efforts, whose efforts are those? That's a really good question. So at Global Trust, we've tried to um, we've tried to focus on the issue of sustainability. And I know certainly for your listeners, this is an enormous topic that could mean many things, but certainly for the space sector, it's it's only one of many, many things that could be done. And, and that has meant that we try to define individual business streams, um, partly to do with governments. And we have a, a pillar of our company, which is focused on the international development uh, programs within places like FCDO and development banks and UN. Um, so we would be talking to those about how satellite technology can have a role in their programs, uh, be it the science of understanding what's going on in a part of the world or even operational um, support to teams that are working in country. On the other side of it, we're trying to tackle corporates. And um, that traditionally has been, I guess, focused quite much uh, on, on the kind of CSR responsible business world where companies were investing their own money to sort of show that they're doing the right things to help their brand, help their clients, and, and just, just I guess, to show the world that they are, they are a responsible company. But with the emergence of um, ESG metrics and reporting up to the financial institutes and actually to the public at large, it's actually creating a completely different market that we didn't really see coming five to 10 years ago. And so now we're looking at working with the investor community itself directly, big pension funds maybe, or individual investors. Um, so how can we give them confidence that their potential investment targets are sustainable and they're not a, a climate or environmental risk? Um, but also to, in some cases, to actually change the behaviors of some of the corporates that the investors are putting their money into. And we've seen this in the mining sector with uh, 
uh, a lot of pressure coming from the investors to make sure that the, the the waste facilities, the dams they put around their waste products is actually stable and not going to break as we've seen in a few disasters in the last few years in Brazil. The other side of it, of course, is the corporates themselves. And what we're actually seeing now is that a lot of the corporates are looking to new ways of actually monitoring their own operations around the world. And um, we, we're seeing corporates, say, based in London, but they do have operations in many, many countries. And it's actually quite difficult for them to offer to get an up-to-date and accurate picture of what's going on. Um, communications aren't always the best internally, and there's often internal politics as to why sometimes the truth doesn't get shared around. So this is a very neutral and independent way of getting that view. Um, and it actually helps them because it means they can put pictures, real pictures that people can look at and trust um, in, into their reports, into any shareholders and stakeholders, any uh, anyone else that needs it, local communities maybe, they can actually show the evidence about what they're doing and also what they're not doing. Um, and of course that feeds directly into the other half of the ESG reporting. They, they, can, they can use this as part of that formal process. Great, thank you so much for that explanation. And also, I guess, just for our listeners who may be less familiar with uh, satellites and just the whole kind of procedure of this, the organizations who are then putting the data that's collected into their reports and images, what would the images be of, just in, as an example? So, for example, let's say if they're carbon offsetting and an initiative they, that they have is that they bought a patch of land on which they collect trees, would it be a satellite image of that? Or would it be, what what what, what type of images could, could be expected to be seen? Yeah, so I guess at the most basic level, when you think of the satellite image, you're thinking about a camera that's flying above the surface. And in fact, that's true. And most of the uses um, commercially are probably going to be of that sort. It's a simple image, and you're just looking for features on the ground that indicate that something has or hasn't happened. So has a piece of land had trees planted on it, and are those trees growing? Is there primary rainforest that's being cut down to make way for farming, when maybe the farming community is saying this is not happening? We can prove that it is. Um, through all the way through to um, things like uh, environmental damage that could be caused. I mentioned um, uh, the, the, the mines and the, the waste products, and obviously those dams can break and cause quite obvious catastrophic damage. But also, what can happen is the, the heavy metals and other toxic chemicals in, in that waste material can start leaking out and going into rivers and actually start polluting maybe an arable area, agricultural zones nearby. Um, which causes a problem for the local communities. And this can be quite subtle. So when we take a satellite image, what we're really doing is not only taking a picture, but every single pixel in that image is actually, a, it's a measurement. It's an actual scientific measurement of something that's going on in that area of the land. And so we can look in the visible area that our eyes would see, but we can go into the infrared and beyond and actually start combining this information together to give us information about, for instance, how, how productive the chlorophyll is and the vegetation that's on the surface? Or can we see signs that maybe over a water body, a lake or a river, or actually see discoloration, which could lead to harmful algal blooms? Or there's, there's a vast variety of things that we could start doing here. Uh, the presence of plastics, for instance, is a, is a good one, where you, you could end up with large um, uh, just pooling of, of plastics in, in certain areas, release of dyes from textile factories. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost limited by your imagination, really. Oh, wow, so there's much more to it than just taking photos. There's so many different 
ways you can look at it. It, it is, yeah. And if, if obviously the kind of a photographic type image that most of your listeners will be imagining is one part of it. But um, there are other satellites that will be able to look through the atmosphere and actually try to pull out the composition of that atmosphere. Um, it could do it for the whole atmosphere, but it could also try and focus down to those lower tiers, which is likely to be linked to the actual emissions that are coming out of um, uh, the industrial facilities that are on the surface. So we were able to look at the Earth system, not just as a picture of what's physically on the ground, but actually it's like a three-dimensional picture of the Earth, but also with a time component too. And what we've been doing over the last 20 to 30 years as an industry is actually collecting data all the time from a vast variety of places. So now there's, there's a very comprehensive archive of data so that we can actually look back 20, 30 years right up to the present day and to see what's actually been going on on the Earth. So not just what's happening today, but actually see, is this genuinely a new change or is this just something that's a seasonal or is maybe linked to El Nino or something sort of like a four-year cycle or something different? And it actually helps to really understand the actual processes that are going on on the surface rather than just jumping to a conclusion and saying, well, it must be this because what else could it be? Now we've actually got the information and evidence that can actually start drawing those conclusions. And that then changes decision makers and behaviors of companies, behaviors of us as citizens and consumers. Yeah, it's so cool. I feel like well, I, I still mentally live in the Stone Age because when I hear about things like this, I'm so amazed by technology. Like, I do think if you're not involved in certain industries, you don't realise how how much technology we have. It's it's not the biggest industry. Um, I think in the UK we've probably got I don't know I don't know I'm guessing the numbers, but something like eight to ten thousand people probably working in this. So compared to other sectors, it's still quite small. But as I said before, the technology is it's global reach and it's got this very unique way of, of viewing the world. So it, it's, it's an important thing and it's, it's, it's a good thing that, that governments and companies invest in. It has genuine benefit to, to everyone's lives. Mm. And we have um, on our pre-podcast brief um, a question which is, what is geospatial data? I presume that is everything that you have been talking about or is that a different thing? Now, geospatial data is um, is a class of data which is really just linking a measurement of some sort to a location and a time. So if you think about something as simple as a, an ordnance survey map, that would be a really good common example of geospatial data. And satellite imagery is just another type of geospatial data. It, it's showing a picture in a particular location at a particular time, and it gives you information about what's happening there. So it, it, it requires, um, I guess, a set of skills to work with. It's, it's not the same as using any other data. It's, it's not complicated, but it, it is a slightly different philosophy about how to handle these data sets. You need to be able to understand concepts of coordinate systems and map projections and the sorts of things that um, people will be learning in geography degrees and environmental science and, and some physics courses as well. Yeah. But it's, um, but it's, it's uh, I mean, people are using geospatial data every day, using Google Maps on your phone. That, that's that's a great example of probably the most widely used geospatial data set. Yeah, that's really good because that breaks it down a bit because I'm thinking this all sounds incredibly complex, but when you say it like that, it, it makes a bit more sense. Yeah, but it's one of these things that um, it's traditionally been around for decades, but it's always been quite inaccessible for people to really use. And it's, it's through things like Google Maps that people suddenly start realizing that this is just something they, they have in their life every day without really realizing it. You know, the old tom-toms and things you just have in your car, same thing. It's, it's just someone has made the effort to create the tools to make everyone access 
what is otherwise be quite complicated data sets. Yeah, and a question I have off the back of that is, so also perhaps kind of going back to um, reporting. So this can be used by organizations to showcase the their sustainable efforts and include it in their reporting and use it more so in a positive light. Hmm. Can this also be used in a way to actually exert pressure onto corporates, governments, investors, and showing those images and saying, hey, perhaps what you're saying that you're doing isn't completely you know, truthful or you're not doing enough? Could it be used in a way to actually exert pressure as opposed to showcase effort? Absolutely, it can. And the, I guess the most um, typical example of that is, is the use of satellite imagery to monitor the deforestation in the Amazon. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have to go very far on Google or in, in, in the media to, to find examples where people are showing multiple images through time, just showing how the Amazon rainforest has been shrinking. And, and that, that, that is headline material, and, and people do pay attention to it. It's, it's, it's a way that it can't be denied, uh, really, when there are so many people around the world with these technologies that can also back each other's results up. So um, that's one example. Of course, that that's really to do with, I guess, government policy that then changes um, corporate behaviour. Not all countries, of course, care about these things, but you know, most most um, countries do. Um, but the example I gave of the mining waste thing, that's a really good example of the investment community putting pressure on the corporates. So in, in this case, it was about those dams surrounding the waste materials failing. And in some cases, it's caused the death of hundreds of people in, in some very tragic and severe cases. So the investors have actually said, no more, we can't have this. We're, we're, we, will, we will effectively divest from these companies if they don't actually change the way they look after these, these, these facilities. And what that's led to is a set of international standards emerging in the last couple of years um, and working groups that are now looking to, to create some sort of foundation, I guess, which will actually do routine monitoring of these facilities so these companies can be held to account. And actually, the pressure is putting the mining companies um, at the forefront of the people who are actually funding such a thing. So there's nowhere for them to run. Um, if, they, if they don't do it, someone will actually uh, hold them to account. And the evidence will be there it'll be clear yeah that's great and very interesting and i guess the answer that you know i was hoping for um equally my question off the back of that would be what about privacy and how does that filter or factor into the work that you do because i can imagine if you're taking pictures from above there are some type of privacy not issues that you may encounter, but how do you perhaps, what what, what are the regulations surrounding this? Uh, well, privacy so far hasn't been an issue. Um, the, the reality is that as great as the technology is, um, what we're not able to do is to to see the kind of the, the Hollywood movie style thing where you can sort of see exactly, looking through a window, see someone's face and work out who they are. It's, it's just not there. So. Um, what we're really talking about at the very high end is uh, images with an individual pixel um, of about 30 centimeters. But that's really the most extreme end. And even at that, I mean, you might see a person, but you're certainly not going to give anything about who that person is or what they're doing. So um, at the moment, the, the, the limitations of the technology means that this just isn't an issue. Um, 
I think where this becomes a, a bigger issue, though, is when we start thinking more about the widespread use of things like drones, where they are much lower, the resolutions are much higher, uh, and that that would probably be the place where the legislation gets set to, to understand how that can be tackled. But from space today, it, it simply hasn't been a problem. And what sectors in particular are you aiming to address with this? We're aiming to address... Um, a, a wide variety of sectors, but of course, as a startup, we're fairly limited in terms of the size of my team. So um, we, we're quite clear with ourselves that we, we want to focus on a few to make sure that we really understand the, the, the challenges that a particular sector is facing. So to date, we're building upon the, the work we did before in the mining sector, as I've already mentioned, as well as working on the international development front with governments. What we've been doing more recently, though, is to go into a couple of sectors which have typically not um, had much to do with space technology. And perhaps the biggest and most exciting one we're seeing is, is the fashion sector. And it, it sounds like an odd thing to think about combining clothing with um, satellite technology, but this is an enormous uh, sector. It's, it's truly global in its supply chains. Um, lots of um, media coverage already about the use of water, the use of um, pushing waste products directly into watercourses, killing rivers, essentially. Um, and as well as bad working conditions, buildings collapsing, there's a, there's a lot that could be done to improve that sector. And the brands at the top of these supply chains don't always know exactly where, who's working for them further down. So what we can do is start working with some of these brands to actually um, either target particular facilities that they are aware of, just to show that nothing bad is happening. And sometimes they just want to know that nothing bad is happening, not just to be alerted when something bad does happen. But also some of these areas are, are clustered around the world. So we can start looking at you know, parts of cities where there are, is a, is a, is a, is a cluster of factories or whatever it might be um, to see how does this feed into some of the certification bodies um, associated with this. Um, and we can do that all the way back down to the original uh, growing practices of cotton in fields, for instance, through to the generation of the textiles, assembly of the garments, and then the shipping around the world. So fashion has been a really exciting thing for us to look at over the last six months. Um, we've got we've got a surprising amount of traction from the people we've spoken to, um, and we'll be pursuing that. The second one is really to do with, um, I want to call it automotive, but it's not so much just the production of the cars. It's if you come back to the issue of supply chains again, and it's about where do the raw materials come from? In particular, when we're moving to a world of electric vehicles, where we're looking at um, sort of uh, more exotic um, and rare metals, cobalt, lithium, nickel, um, things like this, which have limited supplies in parts of the world where it, they're not necessarily the best in terms of um, uh, looking after the workforce and, and um, sound environmental practices. So. What we're seeing is uh, a great interest from some of the, the top brands, again, to actually dive down through the supply chain and provide the evidence that what they're doing isn't actually causing bad effects. And what, if there is, what can they do to actually try and address that issue? So a whole host of sectors, so even things you wouldn't even think about. It, it, indeed, and it's why um, I said uh, at the beginning of my previous answer that we, we haven't tried to tackle too many because every one of these sectors is complex and big and there's plenty of uh, things that we can do there. So I'd much rather the Global Trust really focus on getting to know the customer really well, understanding the genuine challenges and giving them solutions to those challenges which really make sense to them. Um, I think there's a lot of companies traditionally in the space sector have been fairly generalist. Um, 
do, could do anything to anyone. And that's probably true technically, but that, um, in my mind, that's not the way to build a successful business. What I really want to do is have a, a long-term and strong relationship with our clients. And that means spending time with them, getting to know their challenges. Yeah, I think it's very important to, in any business, um, especially one that, you know, is considered fairly new to not spread yourself too thin. And mm. on the, in relation to that, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you have faced? Um, I think the biggest challenges we've faced, I mean, we started up in November 2020 and um, we've been working towards Global Trust for a year or so before that. And of course, no one could have predicted COVID. And what that's done is it hasn't really diminished the the appetite for the sorts of things we're doing. And it has, certainly hasn't diluted the need to do things like ESG reporting. But what it has done is it's, it's, re, it's shifted people's attention on a day-to-day basis to other things. You know, it's, it's easy for us to talk to a mining company, let's say, and it's obvious why they need this kind of information. But what's not so obvious is why they should buy from us today when they've got half their workforce ill at home and they're just struggling to, to get their minds actually operating properly. So. What it's done is it's, asked, it's definitely moved things to the right for us, um, but all, all um, evidence that we can see is that there's a huge appetite for it. So we're, we're doing what we can, um, but it's, it's certainly been a challenge for this first year. But I think we've come out yeah, on the other end of this, if we can be said to have come out of it today, um, looking pretty healthy and we're very positive about the future. I think the other challenge we've had is really about getting into some of these new sectors. Um, as, as, as your questions are actually highlighting really, that satellite technology isn't something that is in most people's mind already. You know, we, we have to go through this whole process of essentially educating people about what we can do, what the technology can do and how it's useful for people. It, it's not like selling a car. You know, everyone knows what a car is, but not everyone knows what a satellite image can bring them. And it means that the um, engagement um, is, is slower than I guess other sectors, but it's something that people get enthused about quite quickly when we start showing examples and, and giving them real pictures of their own facilities in some cases it's it's quite an eye-opening moment for them um, and it quite quickly leads to very um, productive conversations about oh i wonder if you could do this or i wonder if you could do this so it, it's it's often just limited by people's imagination once they've got that appreciation of what the potential could be um, and i think because of all of that what it does mean for us is that we are we're selling into existing markets, but what we're actually selling is, for most customers, it's it's a new thing. This is not this is not something they've used before, and so there's always this challenge of trying to understand what the value of it is and therefore what the price of it should be. So there's been quite a lot of conversations on that front too uh, with clients. But that's just um, something that I guess we have to go through, and it will continue to exist, I'm sure, into the future. But what we are seeing now is more and more people are, are have a greater awareness of satellites. Things like Google Earth have massively helped with that, of course, over the last decade or so. Um, and so they're open to the conversation. And that's, that's good for us. As someone who's only just hearing about this sort of thing for the first time, can I just ask what sort of competition you face? Are there other businesses doing a very similar sort of thing or are you kind of really innovative? Yeah, I'd like to think we're doing something new. Um, but but <laughs> there's, there's many different parts to it, I guess. The technology's been around for several decades, and it's certainly not new um, to use satellite images to monitor the Earth. So that's definitely not new. And a lot of the techniques we apply, yeah, there's some really neat niche work going on there, but some of it is also fairly traditional in our world as well. So but where the innovation lies is about applying it to real-world problems and getting it into um, 
to, to clients that, that would never have thought about using this anywhere else. But there are other companies out there from the space sector. Um, space companies tend to be either from the academic world, so excellent researchers spinning out companies from universities. And I would say, to generalize, quite focused on, on the technology and the science that's involved with it. Or we actually have um, a few other companies who are a, a lot more commercial. We haven't really seen them tackle this topic of sustainability ESG um, and international development so much. Um, we've seen a few chasing more commercial opportunities with, say, the financial services. So things like commodities trading, um, obviously huge markets, huge potential to buy products as well. What we have seen, though, is, um, I guess, consultants um, who are more traditional sustainability consultants trying to actually adopt space technologies. So they're not coming from the space side, they're coming from the other side of it. And I, I think my experience has been that's, that's been, that's had mixed success. Um, this, this technology always does, does always require a certain amount of know-how. Um, and until the technology can get to a point where it, it's been quite a, a lot more simplified than where it is today, I think they, those companies might struggle. But that simply wouldn't stop um, a large company from just investing in and recruiting some people with the right skills and building their own services. So we're aware that there's competition out there. We're aware that it will accelerate. And so we are we are desperately trying to to be have that sort of early to market advantage if we can. Others will come. And what would you say have been your biggest successes? And I guess linked to that as well, what are your goals for the future? You did mention that you want to get to know your clients better and get to know the industries better. Um, is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, uh, if I look back, you know, we've we've been operating as a set for just over a year. So, I mean, some of the big successes aren't to do with necessarily the performance of the business as much as the fact we've got the business set up and created the way we have. I mean, we've we've managed to attract uh, a really a really good team of people. So, uh, and I'm really pleased that we've managed to get the the caliber of um, of staff that we've got, um, and they're enthused and they're working hard. And so that's that's great. And we've actually managed to get a lot of the internal business process stuff set up so that it, it whilst that's a dull thing to say, it means that we don't have to worry about it so much in the future. Um, we, we can build upon a really solid basis. And I've got to say that our parent company has been excellent. I mean, they are a space company, but they're very much more on the upstream part of sort of building and operating the satellites. So what we do is completely new for them. They recognize that and they give us a lot of freedom to take us where we want it, but we always have the support if we need it. And that's, that's been amazing um, actually for this last year. I would say in terms of the sort of the, the external facing world, um, what we've seen is a few examples with one of the pension funds, for instance, they, they had um, investments um, in a particular facility in, in China and there were rumors, um, odd media stories about something bad that had happened. And we were actually able within about two days to actually show them a complete breakdown of what would be going on. And it was just, it was one of those eye-opening moments for them where they suddenly realized, oh, wow, you know, in, in a country where information can be quite hard to come by. Um, here was something which could give them the visibility they needed across everything at a moment's notice. And so it was really, really nice to, to do the work and to actually get the feedback that we did from them uh, about just how impressed they were with us as a company, but also about what the technology could do for them into the future. And I think just the, the other thing I've been really pleased with is that every single com uh, customer that we've had this year has always come back for more. And 
it's been really nice to see that. Um, the fact that they've been impressed with us, impressed with the products. And in some cases, they're actually completely separate from us requesting it. They've been making referrals of us to, uh, to other partners, other people in their sector, because they can see the value. Um, this kind of issue is often non-competitive for them. They don't really see this as something they have to hold on to and keep secretive. They're happy to share and talk about it. And the fact that they've been doing this unprompted has been amazing. So it's, it's, it's been a good sort of 15, 16 months for us. Uh, and I'm really pleased with what we've achieved so far. Fantastic. It sounds like you've achieved so much in such a short amount of space. And I have no doubts that you'll be adding many more achievements to the list. So thank you very much. That kind of wraps up the podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us and for bringing light a topic that has never been on our podcast before. We love learning about new things. So it's been absolutely great. Thank you for giving up your weekend. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. As always, any information about Global Trust is linked in the description on this podcast. So if you enjoyed this, please make sure to check them out. Um, also follow us on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and check out all the podcasts and blogs.